invite you to take the Word of God and open to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, as we continue along through our study through the book of Romans. Today we come to verse number 13 of Romans chapter 14. We're going to be looking at 13 through the end of the chapter, verse number 23. As we turn to God's Word, just ask that you would stand out of reverence for the reading of it. If you are able this morning, we'll read together verse 13 down to verse number 23. Let us hear the Word of the Lord. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance In the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Praise God for his word. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we need your help as we come to your word. Father, I pray today that you would guide us in a proper understanding and application of your word in our lives and in the life of Redeeming Grace Baptist Church. Father, would you help us to love others and your kingdom above all? Would you help us to see how best we can do that? Father, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear Your very word this morning. It's in the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The conscience is a very important part of who we are as human beings. Our consciences are important. And we see a principle that arises in the Bible that we are to listen to our consciences and that we are to take our consciences seriously. 
The Bible pushes us and teaches us to live our lives day in and day out with a clean conscience and for that to be a good thing for us to do. This is what the Bible calls us to. Last week, Pastor Adam defined the conscience as how we reason with ourselves about what is right and wrong. So we could say our conscience is what we believe about what is right and what is wrong, okay? From our standpoint, from our eyes, our conscience is what we believe is right and what we believe is wrong. One important thing we need to always remember is that it is possible for our consciences to be wrong. Okay, please hear that. It is possible for our conscience to be wrong. In fact, none of our consciences lines up perfectly with God's conscience. Okay, none of us have the proper overlap in our life of our conscience with God's conscience. Okay, we all have room to grow in this area. We all have parts of our life that we need to calibrate, as it were, by God's word. Hopefully, these are not super huge, large areas in our life, okay? Hopefully, we, we are not struggling with if it's a sin or not to murder, right? Hopefully, we're dealing with other matters in our life of right and wrong that we need to calibrate with God's word. And listen, every one of us here this morning, each of us, must be willing to change our conscience. What is the one thing that we should trust to inform us on our conscience so that we might change our conscience of what we think is right and wrong? What's, what's the one thing that we need to listen to on that? It's the Word of God, isn't it? It's the Word of God that informs our conscience of what we think is right and what we think is wrong. wrong. And we need much wisdom on this. We need much prayer. Yes, it's good to have the help of other brothers and sisters in Christ to help us as we come to God's Word, but at the end of the day, when we make that decision, that's a decision each of us has to make personally, and at the end of the day, it comes down to the authoritative Word of God. Well, some in the church at Rome had consciences that went beyond what God's Word said. As we saw last time in verse number 2, there were the weak in faith and there were the strong in the faith. And probably this went along Jewish and Gentile lines. The Jews were most likely still concerned with dietary laws of the Old Testament and with various sabbatical, uh, or excuse me, Sabbath and festival regulations, etc. Maybe there were some Gentiles that were getting caught up into that too. That can happen. And it's not hard to see why this would be the case. The time period that this is speaking of and the events that Romans is describing are from the transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And so we're not in that transition period today from being in a transition period from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. No, we've been in the New Covenant for quite uh, a long time. All right, so the, the area that we're speaking of in Romans 14 is this specific time of transition. You would have Jews and Gentiles believing in Jesus, and they came underneath the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
They believe that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and that they did not. They believed that Jesus died on the cross for their sin in their place as their substitute. They believed those things. They trusted in those things. Yet, their consciences were different on some of these matters. They both believed in Christ, but some of the Jews still thought it was best to keep the Old Testament dietary laws. They thought it was best to observe festival days and the Sabbath and to celebrate Passover and to celebrate Purim and and many of the things in the Old Testament. They thought, this is good for us to do. Yet the Gentiles didn't have that background, right? They didn't come at this from that background. So they esteemed each day alike. They didn't look at these festivals like the Jews did. And they enjoyed different foods that the Jews would have a difficulty receiving They were enjoying their crab cakes. The Jews wouldn't touch such a thing. And so that's kind of the flavor of what we see taking place in Romans 14. There there were these people that loved Jesus, yet they had different consciences on these matters. This wasn't a sort of works righteousness. The Apostle Paul would not have spoke like he did in chapter 14 if this was elevated to the point of works righteousness of saying we must live like this in order to be Uh, a part of the family of God. The Apostle Paul would not uh, have that. So this is in the area of brothers and sisters in Christ just disagreeing. So it didn't have to do with salvation. That's an important point for us to see. It had to do with how they thought God would have them live in their life. I'm sure the weak, at least before reading Romans 14, did not view themselves as weak. I'm sure they viewed themselves as very much strong of seeking to live in obedience to God and seek to live in obedience to God's word. Paul in these verses is very concerned and he's concerned about how we treat one another. These are such an an important passages about how we are to live as followers of Jesus Christ. Paul is concerned about how we treat one another in the body of Christ. In particular, Paul is worried about the strong and how they're going to treat the weak in faith. Verses 1 to 12 showed us that neither the weak or the strong are to pass judgment on the other. They're both to receive one another, to welcome one another. That's exactly what Paul picks up on on that big therefore in verse number 14. He says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Okay, let us not pass judgment any longer. Our brothers and sisters, he said before this, will all stand before the judgment seat of God. We're all accountable to God. We're not to judge one another. Furthermore, the Lord, Jesus Christ, is going to be the judge. God has welcomed him, so we're not to judge our brother and sister in Christ in these sorts of matters. Paul says, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Stop trying to be Lord of someone else's conscience, Paul is saying here. And then Paul carries on to another command. And this is the main command of verse 13 through 23. It's the main point of the passage. Okay, the main point of the passage that we see, and that is this. The strong in faith must resolve to never destroy the faith of the weak. Okay, maybe if we, if we could run back to that. There we go. Uh, don't jump too ahead. People won't pay attention. They'll just check out. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. 
Right, so the main point, the strong in faith must resolve to never destroy the faith of the weak. That is what Paul is teaching here. Remember, the weak here, these are Christians that seek to live by rules that go beyond what God's Word says. They're seeking to please God with their life. They thought it wrong to do certain things. We've, We've seen that. Regardless, their conscience, their inner sense of what was right and what was wrong told them that it was wrong to eat certain things or drink certain things or do certain things. And have you noticed that Paul doesn't agree with these weaker brothers? Have you all picked up on that in this chapter? Paul does not agree with the weak. In verse 14a, he says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Paul says that very clearly. Down in verse 20, he says, everything is indeed clean. So Paul uh, does not agree with their position, but he still calls on us to receive one another. A question I have as I read this text is this. Why doesn't Paul just shut down shop and teach on what is clean and what is not clean and call the weak to live and act like the strong? That's a big question as I have as kind of reading through this. If if Paul is saying, you know, the strong and the weak, one thinks this and one thinks that, why doesn't Paul just say, listen, Here's the proper view. Here's how you are to live. Here is the right thing. Foods and just go into a food discussion. It really doesn't, it it doesn't matter. Weak, it's okay. You You need to come along on this week. You need to receive this. And here's the teaching. Here's what the Bible says about these things. Why doesn't Paul do that? You know what I mean? As you read this, you say, why, why Paul? Why don't you just teach on what is right and clean and unclean and just clear the matter up? Right? That's the thought I have when I come to this. Well, why doesn't Paul do that? Paul doesn't do that because it's a matter of conscience. And the conscience is at stake. He does not want the weak to sin against their conscience. And he's very much concerned over the strong and how they might lean towards pride or arrogance, or just dismissing those who differ with them on these matters. We see a very important principle Paul's lays out in verse number 14. Look at verse number 14. Very important principle. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. And here's our important principle. When your conscience tells you it is wrong, but you do it anyway, that is sin. When your conscience tells you it is wrong, but you do it anyway, that is sin. That's a very important principle for us to see here. Even if the thing you think is a sin is not a sin, it is a sin if you think it's not a sin yet you do it. In other words, Paul doesn't want them to sin against their conscience. The thing itself might be neither right nor wrong. It's just kind of neutral. But if you think it's wrong, in your conscience, you think it's wrong, and you do it, he's saying that is a sin. 
you can kind of see how this can get confusing, especially when you put this across a body of believers who are living together, and you got things that uh, are not a sin, and it's fine to do, and then you got, but you got some people that think it is a sin, and then they're doing it, and then it is a sin if you think it's a sin, and you do it, and you got kind of all this, everybody living together. And so in all the remaining verses, Paul is going to mainly give instruction to the strong about how they're to treat the weak. You see, the strong know that it's fine to do these things. They know God is not commanding them to not do them. But Paul has instruction for them about how they are to live, and he's very much concerned about how we treat one another. Paul is very, very concerned with how we as brothers and sisters in Christ view one another treat one another, think about one another, not judge one another, how we interact, not despising one another. Before jumping in, so Paul's going to have, uh, we'll get to that in just a second, but he's going to have kind of three points of instruction to the strong. But before we get to that, we need to kind of uh, hopefully clear something up as we come to this passage. And, and we kind of ask the question, what's the nature of the stumbling block? Did you hear that language as we went through this? What, what's the na- nature of the stumbling block or, or causing somebody to stumble in their faith? What is that? What does that mean? What does it mean to cause someone to stumble in their faith? What's the nature of this stumbling? Are the strong simply in danger of upsetting the weak by eating meat in front of them? By like upsetting them, like kind of making them mad. I think that's wrong and you're doing it anyway. Is Paul simply saying that if a brother thinks it wrong to eat meat, then we should never eat meat because that might upset the weaker brother. That's how a lot of people understand these verses. So, so, so that folks might go around and if somebody else thinks something is wrong, then we have to live by what other people think is right or wrong, lest we cause them to be upset or to stumble. I don't think that's what Paul is teaching here in these verses. These verses are not talking about hurting someone's feelings or making somebody upset, but ultimately leading them to eternal destruction. They're talking about causing somebody to walk away from the faith and to walk away from Jesus Christ and ultimately into eternal destruction, also known as hell. Okay, that's the nature of what Paul is talking about. And you say, well, how do you get there? How do you get to that? Well, I'm I'm glad you asked. Look at the words that Paul uses to describe the problem going on here. Verse 13a, he uses this term stumbling block or hindrance. Verse 15 If your brother is grieved, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Do you see that language? That's very strong language. Don't destroy the one for whom Christ died. Do not, verse 28, do not destroy the work of God. Second part of verse 20, it is wrong to make another stumble. Verse 21, it is good not to eat anything that causes your brother to stumble. And then in verse 23, whoever doubts is condemned. That's Paul's usual word for eternal destruction. Condemned. If you de- you're condemned. Just for a moment, 
look at this word stumbling block. Flick back, if you want to, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18 for just a moment. I want you to see, see this used there in Matthew chapter 18. I think it's very much a parallel. <clears throat> we have the same word for stumbling block used here in Matthew chapter 18. The ESV translates it to sin, but we'll, we'll point that out. Verse number 5 of chapter 18. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little children who believes in me to stumble, that's the word used here, they translate it sin, but it's the word to stumble, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. (laughs) Woe to the world for, or we could say woe to the world because of stumbling blocks. That's the word used there. For it is necessary that stumbling blocks come or temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, that's the word being used here, to sin, if, if, then, what does Paul say? Cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter eternal life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. Do you see what's at stake with this, how this word stumble and to stumble is being used? Verse number 9 of Matthew 18. And if your eyes cause you to stumble, that's the word used there. If your eyes cause you to stumble, what are we to do? Tear it out, pluck it out, throw it away. Why? Why would we do that? Well, it is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, the hell of fire. You see, the nature of this word stumbling, it has to do with not just kind of tripping somebody up, but tripping somebody up to the point of that person stumbling into destruction. And so Paul is pointing to the possibility of the strong leading the weak astray, ultimately astray to eternal destruction. Because of their actions, that is the nature of the stumbling block of these verses, okay? So, so some important principles going on here. What is at stake? We're talking about leading somebody, not just hurting somebody's feelings, although I guess that would happen if you're causing somebody to stumble in this way, but we're talking about causing somebody to kind of derail, and as God's word has this category, somebody that received Christ that is now walking away from Christ. And so Paul is warning us against that and he's giving instruction to the strong about how to live with the weak. And so we jump into his instruction and three things that that he uh, uh, instructs the strong on of how to live with the weak. With this being the case, this is the nature of the stumbling, the destroying, the being condemned. How are we to live? First off, respect others' consciences. Again, this is mainly spoken to the strong. Respect others' consciences. Paul wants the strong to give space to those with weak consciences. To not force them, as it were, into compliance. The strong are to act in love and not just seek to completely destroy the weak by their correct views. Look at verse 15. 
For if your brother is grieved, again, how do we understand grieved? With all of these other words, the stumbling blocks, the destroy, the condemned. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, look at the word there, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Verse number 16, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Paul is saying there, I think, freedom from the dietary law is a good thing. It's a good thing, but if you use that freedom to put a weaker brother into spiritual danger, your good thing will be spoken of as actually evil. Look down at verse number 19. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble to fall away from God. You see, Paul is concerned that the behavior of the strong will lead the weak into sin. And so he calls on the strong to respect their consciences. Don't destroy them. Give space. Here's what this might have looked like in Rome. You have this weaker brother. By the way, remember, the weaker brother, at least before Hearing Romans 14 read, did not consider themselves weak, okay? They would, have not, they would have said they were right, right? They're doing this in honor to the Lord, as what it says there in 14.6 and following. They're living in obedience to the Lord. So you have a weaker brother who thinks it wrong to eat meat. And the stronger brother comes, and this is in the context of maybe a church meal, everybody eating together, and the stronger brother who comes by and there's meat there at the meal, maybe he looks down upon this weaker brother. His temptation is to pride. Verse number three tells us about this of Romans 14. So he maybe begins to despise him. That is, he looks down on this other Christian. And when they're together, maybe at this church meal, the strong seeks to entice the weaker person to eat meat. Come on, buddy. There's nothing wrong with eating meat. Just eat it. Don't, don't be a legalist. Why are you so pharisaical? Maybe even there's peer pressure involved. You get your strong buddies to kind of gang up on the weak. What are you doing? Look over here at this guy. He's chowing down on this. There's nothing wrong with that. Wouldn't that be a temptation? I mean, is there anything wrong with eating the meat? No. No, there's nothing wrong with that. And so you can see how the temptation to the strong is to say, come on, weak, get with the program. Eat this. It's no problem. Maybe the weak person there, in his conscience, he thinks it's wrong to eat meat. And now all of a sudden, he takes a plate of meat and he begins to eat. And something kind of begins to happen. 
Now, I, I'm not saying, and I don't think Paul is saying, that, that a weak person, when he comes and he eats a piece of meat, that he's destroyed eternally and on his way to hell. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that that, that, that is not something that condemns him to just, just eat meat, as if one act leads to eternal ruin. God help us if that is the case. No, it's the weak person starts to live a certain way, or is at least tempted to. He starts to live maybe day in and day out against what he believes to be right or wrong. Might start out with something as innocent as eating meat. The Bible says it's fine to do that. But for someone who thinks it's a sin and does it, that is a sin. And you see, the trouble is, what's being warned against is the weak person begins to live against his conscience. The weak person begins to live and do things he honestly thinks are wrong to do. Is that thing something wrong to do? No, 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 it's not. But he thinks it's wrong to do that. And so he begins to become unhinged, as it were. Now again, let me just talk about the level that we're on. We're not talking about the level of adultery here, okay? The Bible is very clear about that. It's not as if uh, the weak person is just fine. They think it's fine to commit adultery, and so they commit adultery, and, and it's the weak person that thinks, oh, to live by these laws, you're, 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 you know, we're, we don't have to live like that. No, we're talking about things here that the Bible neither commands nor forbids, and so the problem is, and this is what Paul is concerned, about us, stronger Christians in this matter, living in such a way that would cause somebody to do something they think is sin. Instead of personal devotion to doing what he thinks is right or wrong, he begins to accept other people's convictions. And his life slowly becomes unhinged and he is now vulnerable. He's now not only vulnerable just to eating something or drinking something because now in his life he's kind of getting used to crossing over the line of what is right and what is wrong, at least in his own mind. And so then the problem is this person begins to live in other areas about what is truly right and wrong and begins to cross those lines. That is what Paul is concerned about here, of someone getting comfortable with crossing the line of what they believe to be sin. This is something that would probably start out small, but then it begins to grow to something bigger. I, I remember back um, to a time of being uh, in my teenage years, upper teenage years, and I remember being with um, some youth, and uh, youth, y'all just plug your ears on this. Not a good story for you guys to hear. Um, I don't want to embolden you uh, in any way. But we, we were with some uh, youth, and we went to uh, a particular place. We're on a youth trip, and uh, we went to a, a tobacco store. <laughs> Forgive me, I'm from Tennessee. So we went to a, a tobacco store, and some of the other youth, and, and we we're like, let's, let's get a pipe. That'd be a cool thing to do. Let's get a pipe and we can, we can smoke a pipe. This will be great. I remember thinking, well, isn't it wrong to 
smoke a pipe, isn't that wrong to do? Well, I'm young and, and thinking through this, and then, well, I just went through with that, got the pipe, had the pipe, began to smoke the pipe. This is kind of a bit my parents are sitting here. I don't know if they know this or not, okay? I just, but for the sake of the example. So began to live like that, and, and I became convicted in my life for that. I became convicted that that was wrong. And, and I had this time of, as, as it were, space, am, am I going to just kind of continue on in this? To continue kind of living, I think something is wrong and I'm going to cross that line and kind of live in what, doing things that I think are wrong? Am I going to live that way? Is, is that something that I'm going to do? And that can be very dangerous for anybody, but especially for a teenager, an older teenager, that can be very dangerous to do. And it was through conviction that one day, uh, our, my friends and I, we, we came together and in a glorious act of praise to the Lord, we got out a hammer and we got out this pipe and we busted the pipe and we repented of our sins. And now I regret doing that because I would have loved to, it was a very expensive pipe, I'd like to still have it. I don't think there's anything wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong with, I'm not going there, with smoking a pipe. Neither commanded nor forbidden. You're, you're free to do that or not to do that. But the point is, I thought it was wrong and I did it. You see how that can be dangerous? You see how that can be dangerous in your life? Strong person, do you see how that can be dangerous to pressure somebody who is weak to do something that they think is wrong? Do you see how that can be dangerous? How ought that strong person to, they need to respect the conscience of the weak. To respect that person. It, it's not a problem to eat meat, but listen, we need to love that person more than we love that truth of it's fine to eat meat. We need to love that person. We need to respect their conscience. We can still talk about these things, but we need above all else to love one another. And so the instruction to the strong is do that, do that. Show love to the weak. Don't pressure them, give them space. Realize that they are weak in the faith. Their consciences are tender in these areas. Show concern for this brother or sister in Christ. Don't look down on them. Don't make fun of them. They are living this way. They think to, to please the Lord. Give them space. Now listen, again, we're talking about things that Scripture, scripture neither forbids nor commands, right? We're not talking about giving space for sin. <laughs> this person is stealing stuff. We're praying, you know, he, he, he thinks it's fine. We're kind of hoping he gets over it and he matures to a position of strength. No, no, we call that out. The Bible says don't steal. You're not supposed to steal. We're talking about things Scripture neither forbids nor commands. We need to give them space. Oh, how hard that is to do, quite frankly. It's hard Hard for me to do, especially for somebody who loves the truth, who loves the truth of God's word to say to that person who thinks it's really wrong that God doesn't want Christians to eat meat. They think that's the right way to live. It's hard for me to, okay, okay, I see, I, I, all right, to give that person 
space. Paul is saying, strong, you need to bear with the weak. Walk in love, be patient, give space, allow the other person to work through matters of conscience. Don't we need wisdom and discernment in applying this principle? Oh, how we need wisdom and discernment to know a weaker Christian from just an outright Pharisee. In other words, to know a weaker Christian versus maybe somebody uh, uh, like, like Paul in Galatians chapter 2, uh, who, who the uh, circumcision party, when these people come and say, you've got to be circumcised to be a part of the family of God, may we have wisdom to know the difference between that and a weaker brother. To that type of person, as Paul does in Galatians, we don't give in for one single minute. Because it ultimately could be the gospel that is at stake. But if it's a weaker brother, yes, we need to give space. You see, we need discernment on applying these verses to one another. So, respect others' consciences. Secondly, be kingdom-minded. Be kingdom-minded, verse 17 and 18 and 22. So as verse 3 of this chapter made clear, an area where the strong are tempted to despise the weaker brother and judge them, we need to watch out for that, of despising them, of judging them. And we need to remember what these verses say. Look at verse 17 and 18. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. The kingdom of God is not ultimately about the things that we eat or drink. (coughs) The kingdom of God is about the truths and the principles of righteousness and peace. It's water. The strong need to remember this, right? The strong need to remember this truth the strong have a tendency the strong have a tendency to say i have my rights no one will limit me of observing my freedoms i'll do what i want to do i'm not going to walk on eggshells around anyone if it's the truth i'm not afraid to say it in this context of with a weaker brother Paul says, well, listen, the kingdom of God is not about doing what we have the right to do. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. We should be looking to love others, especially, especially towards a weaker brother in the faith. If there is a weak or tender-hearted brother or sister who Paul describes in, in verse number 21, then we will forgo eating meat or doing anything, anything that would shove that person into acting against their conscience. In other words, we would give up the liberty that we have for love as another brother because we we don't want to push them into doing something in their minds. They say, I know this is wrong before God. Verse number 22 even states that we don't have to always voice our opinion on the matter. Imagine that. When Paul says to keep the faith you have between you and God, he's not saying you can never talk about it or discuss it. He's instructing us that we don't always have to force it on others. 
especially in this context of weak and strong. Our calling as believers is to be kingdom-minded, to look out for one another, to seek to build others up, to seek to watch out for those who are weak in the faith and to receive them with love. And if need be, to even forgo our liberties with them so as not to cause them to go against their conscience of what they think is wrong. Paul doesn't mean that here that your liberties are to be determined by anything someone else thinks is wrong, right? That would be a crazy way to live, that we have to live and do what, what everybody around us thinks is right or wrong. No, he's talking about watching those items or freedoms when we are around others who are weak in the faith or weak in that thing, that issue. Of the strong, Paul says in verse 22 at the end of it, blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. That is, they are blessed by being unaffected by what they eat. They don't have a reason to be judged by what they eat. The call in these verses is for us as Christians to seek others and say, how can I encourage and grow them up in the faith? How can I build them up, not tear them down? Not about who I can get to follow my preferences. No, the kingdom of God is about salvation in Jesus Christ and making followers of Jesus Christ to live in obedience to Him. Let us all be determined to keep the main thing of the gospel of Jesus Christ the main thing. With this in mind, flip over just very quickly, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, or you can just listen to me read it. 1 Corinthians 9, I think this gives great context to the heart of the Apostle Paul and his instruction to us in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. 19 to 23, listen to what Paul says. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. What's the win referring to? Salvation, right? Salvation of somebody coming to salvation. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Do you hear Paul? And then he puts in parentheses, though not being myself under the law. I think that's Paul speaking here about his liberties, his freedom. That I might win those under the law. What's Paul mainly concerned about? Salvation is Paul mainly concerned about. Listen, guys, you need to have this view on meat. No, Paul is worried about the kingdom of God, of righteousness. And so he says, I become that to them for salvation purposes. Verse 21, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. And then he clarifies in a parenthesis, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Paul's saying, I'm not I'm not going to live in sin to win those in sin. That's what Paul is saying there. He says that I might win those outside the law. Paul says, to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Paul says, I don't do all of that 
for the sake of not observing the dietary laws of the Old Testament. No, he says, I live like that for the gospel because he is kingdom-minded. He's kingdom-minded in seeking to have salvation of those who are lost. Lastly, very last point and short point, live by faith, verse 23. Live by faith. Verse 23 says, but, and think of the, the weaker brother here, whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. I was, I was talking about the person who thinks it's wrong to eat meat, but they eat meat. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. See how that principle applies itself out? The eating is not from faith. Uh, now maybe that, that weaker brother would come to a point of when he realizes in his life, uh, okay, I see, I see where I am in the Old Testament, New Testament transition. I see that and, and I know that it's not wrong for me to eat this unkosher food and so maybe there's a day where he come, where he actually eats it and he eats that food and it, it probably my guess would it would probably feel like sin for him doing that at, at the first time because he's never done that before but but he's his conscience is being transformed by the word of God and he says I see that I'm free to do this and so I'm, I'm free to do that and so I can I can do that and I know it's fine before the Lord and he begins to grow in that understanding we need to give space to one another brothers and sisters on these matters we need to give space if somebody never gets to that point that's okay we need to give space the kingdom of God is not a matter of just eating and drinking or whatever else the kingdom of God is a matter of salvation in Jesus Christ of sinners being forgiven of their sins that's what the kingdom is about. And Paul says, therefore, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. It's that principle. If you think it's wrong to do it, yet you do it, then that is sin. It's a matter of conscience. It's a matter of what you think is right or wrong. How are we to live as Christians? We're to live by faith. By faith in Jesus Christ. Live by obedience to him of living of what he says is right and what he says is wrong. And we live that life by faith. Condemned if he eats. Why? Because it's not doing it by faith. Each of us must seek to live in obedience to God. My instruction to you on, on has various things about conscience and what you think is right and what you think is wrong, realize how important, we all need to realize how important the conscience is. And don't sin against your conscience. It's what we see described here. But listen, know that our consciences are not always right. Our consciences have to be calibrated at the end of the day by the word of God and nothing else and nothing else. It's calibrated by the word of God. May we as believers never seek to push or to pressure or to shove someone into doing something they think is wrong. May we be tender, loving, 
kingdom-minded as we seek to follow Christ together. May our focus as a people and as a congregation always be on the main thing, and that is Jesus Christ and Him crucified for us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these words from Romans chapter 14. Father, I pray that you would help us to live in obedience to them. Father, forgive us where we've sinned against you. Father, help us to be a kingdom-minded people. Help us to love others well. Help us to be willing to forgo our rights for others. Because the kingdom of God is about Jesus Christ. It's about Him crucified. Father, we confess together it's all about Him. It's all about Christ. Father, may we sing together that indeed He is all we have and He is all we need. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.